right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation, it could be business, it could be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood. And the people that get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us, they're not just salespeople. There are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories here so we can tap into what makes us human practice our human skills, and ultimately, we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, gang, so I have an awesome guest on uh, the podcast this morning. As you uh, may know, I started this podcast. I was really inspired by the book To Sell is Human by Dan Pink. And, um, you know, if you have published a book and Dan Pink has quoted you on the cover of that book, um, then you also share uh, the love for that uh, book too and, and uh, share a lot of the same beliefs and, and uh, this person does um, and has that book uh, to, to talk about it. So I'm going to quick introduce him and we'll get into it. So um, really excited to have this person on uh, the, the podcast today. Um, you know, he is the chief sales scientist of Cerebral Selling. Um, his unique science and empathy-based approach uh, to driving revenue and talent growth have been published in Harvard Business Review, as well as Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Inc. magazines. He's often referred to as the sales professor. Uh, he's also the author of the best-selling book, Sell the Way You Buy, and an adjunct professor at the Smith School of Business at Queen's University. Uh, he holds a, a, a degree in chemistry and atmospheric science, probably the first person uh, to hold that degree that's been on the podcast from York in University and a master's degree in chemical engineering from the University of Toronto. When he's not thinking about sales, he loves to cook, write, and spend quality time uh, with his wife and three daughters. Please welcome none other than <laughs> David Creamer to the podcast. Welcome, David. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Alec. That was a great intro. I love, oh my gosh, like I, I'm going to just replay that over and over again. Maybe, you know, when I wake up, when I get on, you know, phone calls with clients and stuff. No, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. I, I like the image of you uh, waking up your alarm to David Primer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and me being in your ear. That's awesome. Well, David, um, as I said, you wrote a book on uh, selling, uh, you know, sell the way we buy. And uh, so that's my first question. Uh, I, I want uh, to understand, you know, why uh, has that been so important to you uh, to write something like that? And why should we even care about why uh, we buy and sell stuff? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, look, you know, everyone has a story about how they got into the sales. And as you kind of read earlier, I got into sales by accident, just like everyone else does. And I realized, you know, I'm going to kind of yada yada, you know, the last 20 years for a second. And, I, you know, I'm going to I'm going to say I realized the last 20 years being in sales is that you know, people love to buy stuff, but they just they just hate talking to salespeople. You know, talking to a salesperson is no one's favorite activity, especially salespeople. And yet, I love this profession. I got into it by accident and, and the journey took me across four awesome high growth startups. Uh, three were acquired. One was acquired by Salesforce, came over to the ship, worked at Salesforce for five years, um, seeing how the sales machines were built operationally and culturally at scale and fell in love with sales because it was, to me, it was almost like a, an engineering problem. You know, not all 
not all variables and those kinds of things, but like human variables and all sorts of just interesting nuance. And the world of buying and selling has changed so much. And so that's why I love sales. But I realized I had this epiphany that, look, I just don't like talking to salespeople. And I, and I realized that a lot of other people do as well. And so, you know, when I started to kind of pull that back and dissect, like, why does that happen? And how can we get people to start liking talking to, like, talking to salespeople? It kind of led me down this path of like, well, we need to start executing with more empathy for what our customers are experiencing, but also more science, meaning really understanding, and this is kind of where Sell the Way You Buy comes in, understanding the pathways and mechanisms by which people, human beings, make purchasing decisions, which is something that's actually not often clear to us as buyers ourselves. And so that's kind of where the whole, the whole history and thesis for Sell the Way You Buy came from. I love it. You know, I think uh, I, I, I can't even explain why I buy all the things that I buy. I, sometimes they're just unconscious decisions. <laughs> I'm on Amazon and uh, uh, I'm surfing and then I make an unconscious decision and then sometimes I make a conscious one. Um, do you think uh, there's necessarily a better way to go about it? Should we be making conscious decisions why we buy things? And we should be making uh, or, or is it just better to let them happen naturally and, and be, be unconscious the way we uh, buy? Yeah, well, I think changing the way people buy things is that's a tough slog. I, you know, we buy things all for all sorts of reasons, tons of primarily emotional reasons, even to your point, Alex, even if we don't realize that's the case. So, you know, my, my whole thing is like, don't change the way people buy. People buy the way they buy. And when I say buy, it's not just I'm going out and exchanging my money in consideration of a, an item or commodity. It's, you know, the way we make decisions. It's, you know, how I decide what to, you know, wear and what to, what to make for lunch and where to go on vacation and which partner I choose to spend the rest of my life with, you know. So all of these things are, are decisions that we make in our lives or even the, the, the impressions, the, you know, who we vote for in elections, like it is all based on kind of the exact same principles. And we're not going to change that. That's not the goal, right? But the goal is if we want to, if we want to sell to people in the right way and convince and convert and persuade, then we need to attune ourselves to how people actually buy so we can sell that way. So the goal is to change the way we sell, not so much the way we buy. I like it. Okay. All right. Good. Thank you for that distinction. Um, all right. So, and this is a podcast for, uh, all human beings to really help them understand that we all have the capability to be great at sales. I think you believe that. Um, you know, I think I'm trying to uh, totally blow up the myth of the pushy, icky, nasty used car salesman, and I know you are too. Mm -hmm. um, and I agree. I don't like to. I think um, you know. Unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of people that are still doing it that way. That do just kind of hurt it for everyone else. And that's part of why those stereotypes exist. Um, but, um, you know, so in the book, uh, in, in the book, and you talk about kind of this, um, you know, how, how we learn how to sell in the how people just in the beginning, like learn how to do it, you know, even if you aren't in sales, you, you, you kind of learn somewhere along the line, like what I should be saying and what I should be doing. And you learn from someone teaches that to you. And so you talk about this Cobra Kai paradox where, you know, we, we just essentially, if, for those of you that are Karate Kid fans, um, you know, Daniel son in Karate Kid, he learned from his sensei, Mr. Miyagi. And so 
my question for you, David, if you were uh, a sensei, you were, uh, you know, Mr. Miyagi starting your own dojo, what are the things you would be teaching to Daniel-san? Uh, what are the most important things you'd be teaching um, to your students um, about sales? Yeah, well, I mean, look, that, so the concept of the, you know, I call them the, co the Cobra Kai tactics, you know, in sales, there are a few places you can go, you know, institutions of higher education where you can learn how to do sales, but by and large, you, you cannot, right? You just learn how to do sales from your sensei. And yet it's the number one profession, you know, kind of by title in America, about 13, 12, 13% of Americans are in a, like an official sales role. And then there's tons of other folks that are in, uh, I would call unofficial right, or kind of non-titled sales roles. And so it's, it's a huge thing. We end up learning from our sensei. And if we learned how to do sales from someone who was, who was great, the Mr. Miyagi style, then we grew up to be gentle and empathetic, right? And, and we tend to do it the right way. But if we learn from, you know, our sensei, John Kreese of the Cobra Kai Dojo, we grow up to be jerks, right? <laughs> and, and it doesn't mean that we're bad people. Like, I, you know, you think about the karate kid back in the day, those kids, the bullies that were kind of beaten on Daniel, you know, they weren't bad kids. They just learned from someone who they believed was the way, the kind of the right way to, to practice, right? And in sales, we often find that as well. It's like we learn from our sensei and we grow up with these habits and things that we do, which have now a lot of, have been shown to since be counterproductive in terms of sales efficiency and conversion. But we do them just because we're just used to them. And part of the challenge becomes that all of the customers that exist in the world, like us, you know, regardless of what we're, whether we're in sales or buyers as well, then come to expect those behaviors. And it makes us shy away from salespeople. So if I were the Mr. Miyagi teaching sales, which I, I guess I kind of am, because that's, that's what I do in my practice, you know, the things I, I, I teach, I teach a few things. Number one, I teach science, right? So tactics that are informed by scientific research and data to prove out how people actually make purchasing decisions and how we can be more persuasive and aligned with how those purchasing decisions are made. So first of all, is like science, scientifically proven tactics. The second piece is empathy, which in a way is a little easier because it doesn't require a whole bunch of data. It just basically, it's the golden rule. Don't use tactics that wouldn't work on you. If you found yourself on the buyer side, don't use those tactics. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like you tell that to salespeople and they kind of laugh a little bit. They're like, okay, I get what you're saying. So that is kind of a, a emotional intelligence pattern recognition. And then the third thing that I would teach is the execution piece, which is a thing that a lot of people miss. For example, if you wanted to be a black belt in karate, you could watch a video or read a book of someone doing black belt moves. And I would say, look, Alex, you just do those things and like, boom, black belt in karate. Like if you could, if you could do everything that you understood, you could be a black belt in a couple of weeks, right? But the reality is you go out, you watch these videos and you're gonna, you start doing these moves, you're gonna hurt yourself, okay? You need to build up to them. And, and the knowing doing gap in the sales realm is very, very real. Meaning I can tell you when a customer says it's too expensive to say this or do this or act this way, but till you actually develop that muscle memory so it's natural, right? That you're leading the customer through, that it doesn't, it doesn't feel sleazy, it doesn't feel mechanical, doesn't feel like someone put you up to saying that thing it takes time it yeah. takes time so that science empathy execution that's where i would focus yeah it, when you, you talk about things like empathy it's it's i think that's such a hard thing like to learn i mean it's it's a soft skill you know the the, the human skills i call them human skills things that are, we're 
a lot of us are kind of born with them, or at least we're, you know, it, we're, we're shaped or framed by our experiences. And so, you know, I know in the book, um, you know, kind of into cells, you kind of talks about some different tactics, but um, do you believe that really all human beings can learn empathy and learn how to be great at sales, even if that, that's not their profession? And if you do believe that, uh, why do you believe it? And why do you think we all do it without even realizing it? Yeah, I mean, I do believe you can learn. It's funny, you know, look, you know, now we're kind of in, in pandemic zone and people are getting puppies like all over the place. <laughs> so there was a time, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make a tie in here. So there was a time that we were thinking about getting a dog. And so we're looking at like dogs and trying to like pick, okay, like what kind of breed would, would suit our family the best? And you know, you come across information that says, well, this dog is highly intelligent. This is a highly intelligent dog. And a lot of the kind of the caveats around highly intelligent dogs is that just because a dog is highly intelligent doesn't mean that they're gonna be willing to do things for you, <laughs> right? It doesn't mean they're easy to train. It just means that they're highly intelligent. And so I think about the same thing as it relates to uh, emotional intelligence and empathy in people. Everyone can understand empathy and everyone can can be taught and learn the pattern recognition so for example you might have someone who you know might come off as a jerk or abrasive and they might be like that because they don't realize what they're doing right but if you show them kind of the so emotional intelligence which is kind of like where empathy comes from can be taught it is not fixed i can teach you empathy but I need to kind of show you the pattern recognition. When you said it like this, Alex, you notice how it pissed the customer off? Mm. Okay, don't do that again. Like, and you may not have realized that you were doing that, right? And that's actually, you know, I talk about in the book, all sorts of small little phrases, like things like, for example, when you are speaking to someone and they say, you know, Alex, I'm explaining this concept. Does that make sense? People use the phrase, does that make sense all the time? Yeah, yeah, but really, do you, use, do you use that make sense? I have, for sure, yeah. Because I want and, that understanding. I want their, that um, recognition. I want that affirmation from them that I, maybe I'm a, a, a little afraid that I'm not making sense. You know, so I ask, does that make sense? Well, so that's, this is the thing. When people use the phrase, does that make sense? I actually talk about this in, the, I think, the first chapter of the book. One of the challenges is that people tend to get off-put by that statement. And, you know, from your perspective, you're just trying to, you know, confirm alignment that, you know, there's an understanding there. But the phrase, does that make sense? And I'm going to loop this in back into pattern recognition. The phrase, does that make sense, can be, can be uh, construed in, in two negative ways. The first way is a condescending way. So I'd say, you know, Alex, I'm explaining this concept of science-based selling. Does that make sense? Because I'm really smart and I don't think you're smart at all. And I want to make sure this very sophisticated concept is reaching you, Alex. Right? Condescending. I'm just being caricature there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Condescending. The other way is has you described it. You know, Alex, does this make sense? Because I'm not good at explaining things. And sometimes when I explain things, people look all confused. And it's probably because I suck at explaining things. <laughs> and now it's self-deprecating. So like both of those ways, when I say does that make sense, can can be can be you know misconstrued. And people use those phrases all the time without thinking how they can be interpreted. So if I can show you this pattern recognition of like when I show you, when I say, does that make sense? This is what's happening in the mind of your, the receiver. You're like, oh my gosh, okay, well, okay, I don't, that's not good. I need, to, I need to change that. Now, it's through the pattern recognition that I can get you to realize that you need to be more empathetic. I'm not, not using the, does that make sense as the example, but empathy. When you said it like this, the customer, it pissed them off. 
here's why you should change your phrasing or explain it like this so that it kind of lands the right way. Now the question is, are you willing to change? Right. That I cannot, <laughs> I cannot say. Right. So that's the, that's the idea. Like everyone has the capacity to be empathetic, but not everyone has the will or desire to be empathetic. Just like, look, I want, you know, 24 inch biceps and six pack abs. Am I willing to do what it takes to get, to get those things? Probably not. Right. So <laughs> it's the willingness. It's not just the capability. I, I like that. That's, that's very, very true. And, and I, I think if you're listening to this, you, you, you kind of, you, you're at least willing to, you're open to uh, learning, obviously, and you, you, you think it's possible. And so that's what I, I'm, I'm hoping to do with things like this. And, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit today, uh, uh, David, about uh, how your concepts can not just work in, for that, uh, you know, B2B salesperson, but how they really can work in your personal life. And that's where I want to kind of take things, uh, if that's all right. So, sure. um, you know, you... Uh, I think, you know, one of the core just concepts or training uh, strategies in sales is, um, you know, not around, you know, talking about price and telling features and benefits. It's around telling what someone gets as a result of uh, your, um, you know, so like products and services. And, and, and that's, you know, really, you know, um, I think Warren Buffett obviously said, you know, price is what you pay, value, value is what you get. Um, but you, you say that salespeople confuse value with ROI. And I, I wanted to uh, have you kind of explain that, um, you know, what that means to you and maybe how we can even also, uh, how we sometimes confuse it outside of the um, business uh, arena uh, sometimes. Uh, and if you have uh, seen that happen. All the time. In fact, it happens, you know, it happens just as much, you know, in everyday life outside the business arena as it does in business. It's almost like we don't realize how often it happens in business, but we realize how much it happens in our personal lives. So for example, if you're listening or if you're Alex here, think about something that you spend money on that another person would say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, I don't understand why he's spending money on that thing, right? Like, we all have those things, right? Even for example, if I used a very simple example and I said, forget, forget the car you drive, the clothes you wear, where you went on your last vacation. If I asked you to write down everything that you ate for lunch in the last month, and then I took that list and I said, I'm gonna give that list to your doctor. I'm gonna ask your doctor, what percentage of the time did this person eat the best thing for them? Meaning calorically, food groups, portion size, and if you're listening, I want you to answer that question for yourself. Okay? Now, Alex, you look like you're kind of a healthy guy. I don't, I don't, I don't want to like presuppose what that number might be. What, what, what would that number be for you, do you think? The caloric intake daily? or No, like, so the question is, for, what oh, percentage of the percentage, time? Oh, very low. Low. I mean, I don't know, 30%? <laughs> okay. So let's, let's say 30%. Some of you listening might be like, is there a negative number I could pick for this? But like, the reality is, <laughs> so now here's the thing. Now, if I said, so, so that means like, let's say seven out of 10 times for Alex, he agrees that he is not eating the best thing for him. But if I were to ask Alex, I would say, hold on a second. Does that mean that 70% of your lunchtime meals, you're angry with yourself? You're like, oh man, Alex, come on, man. Like why, why you, you, you made the wrong decision again? Can't believe it. I fell back into the trap. I'm willing to bet that no, you're probably quite happy with whatever you ate for lunch. Is that fair? Absolutely. And I could, I also work out. Like I, I have a weird thing where I have like, I, I don't watch my diet. I don't diet. I just kind of like, 
I, I drink like I, I try not to put in calories. I'm not, I try not to drink calories. So I'm drinking like, you know, zero calorie teas, but I also eat the, you know, the, 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 the chicken with the barbecue sauce. And like, I'm, I'm eating peanuts all day long and I'm eating chips and, and I'm like, there's got to, and I drink beer. So I'm like, you know, and I'll drink the bottle of wine and I'm like, man, is this really leveling out? But I'm like, you know what, I'm going to, but I'm going to work. I ran this morning, I ran 30 minutes. So it kind of balances itself out. And I kind of, I'm, I'm losing, I've been losing weight over the last year. So do I, am I like um, an Adonis? No, but I'm like, I'm, I'm all right for what I, <laughs> what I want to be, you know, so I'm so, good. So good. So you don't have any emotional conflict. You're not angry with yourself because of your food choices. No, because- well, when I tell, I'm sorry, I hate to interrupt you. But I did make a change to work out when I like got to a point where I was like, oh, I, I feel like I'm like not doing anything. I'm not working out. So then I'm like, okay, I need to balance this caloric intake. So anyways, go, go on. I'm sorry. for Yeah, no, look. And, and so you're, what's happening is you're kind of telling yourself a little story. Every time you make a decision, con- unconsciously, mostly, you're telling yourself a little story. For example, you might say you've had a long, hard day. You sit, you come home, you say, you know what I deserve? And usually what you deserve is like something that's not good for you, beer, pizza, cheeseburger, whatever it totally. is. Oh my gosh. And when you, and when you make your, your food decisions every day, you're not unhappy with what you ate, but you know that if I were to ask you, or is that the best decision for you? You know, the answer is no, most of the time, and yet you're doing it. Right. And, and I'm, and I'm not here to chastise anyone, but what I am here to say is that most of the decisions that we make in our life are, I would say all, all of the decisions, honestly, that we make in our life, are rooted in emotion. If they weren't, then for example, we would go shopping and no offense to Walmart, we would all go shopping at Walmart for our clothes because the clothes at Walmart have thermal protection, you know, solar protection, you know, they, they, they keep us decent when we go out in public, which isn't that the bare minimum requirements that we need? Like, no, like we, we like fancy clothes and we like options in our car and we do things because they fulfill us emotionally. And so this idea of like, how do we buy? We buy based on emotion all the time. And even in, in our personal life all the time, right? I'm just using these as euphemisms, the car, the, the food, but in the B2B sense or the, you know, when we buy, you know, electronics or when we buy software for our company, we as well are, you know, buying emotions and feelings. You know, the, the phrase, if you've ever heard the phrase, no one ever got fired for buying you heard this? No one ever and, got and fired. Yeah, you mentioned it like Xerox or something like that. Yeah. yeah, Xerox. No one ever got fired for buying. I'd be like, what does that mean? Right? It means that what I value, and so this is where we could back to the discussion of value and return on investment. So return on investment is a financial statistic of an expected return on invest. It's a finance, it's like an objective financial statistic. Value is a subjective feeling. So when I say no one ever got fired for buying IBM. Does that, or, or Xerox, or at t or whatever the big gorilla in your space is, does that mean that IBM is the best solution on the market? No, it just means that I value safety and security in my job. And I know that if I choose IBM or Xerox or whatever, it's the safe choice. And if I value safety, then I'm gonna make that decision. And last time I checked, safety is not uh, an objective statistic, it's a feeling when you invest in insurance or you know a uh, uh, protection for your home you're doing it because of a feeling you get and that feeling is pervasive whether we're in our personal lives or business lives yeah it's funny you uh, i you know i heard you on a another podcast and you talked about like would you 
you know, you're on a plane and would you get an upgrade to first class if it was only $500 or something like that? And someone put in the chat, well, like if my wife says it was, it would be okay. And, uh, and I'm like, oh no, like that, he hit the, literally hit the nail in, in, on the head in my life. I make decisions um, that, um, you know, based on, hey, like, you know, hey, my, my wife asked me, hey, do you want to go uh, away this weekend? I'm like, sure, if we can afford it and you want to, let's do it. <laughs> like, I don't know, like she does the finances and I'm, you know, okay with that. And I'm just kind of like along for the ride. I call her kind of my, my tour. She's my, my um, you know, my free uh, travel agent as well as uh, uh, my loving wife. And uh, yeah, she plans everything. And um, I just want to make it easy for her to, 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 to do the things that she likes to do. I, I also, you know, get into these situations where I don't know if David, if you've ever been in a situation with your wife or people, friends, what do you want to do this weekend? And it's literally like the Saturday morning, you have a whole free day and like, what do you want to do? And then how that interaction plays itself out uh, is interesting to me. And I, I kind of don't know always how I make the decision other than I throw out a lot of options and see what people pull on. And then I kind of explain them. You know, so well, that's right. Or there's someone who has like a lot of passion and conviction around one. Th so you say, what should we do this weekend? Like we should go apple picking, right? Like, yes, it's the perfect weather. It's the season. It's, you know, it's, it's very, we need to go apple picking. And you're like, all right. Like, let's say you were in a group of people and one person was just like gangbusters on apple picking. You'd be like, okay, well, let's just do that. And why? Because they're, they're persuading you through their emotion and conviction mm. that that is the best yes thing to do. And look, you yeah. need to look no further than politicians, right, who have a lot of conviction in what they're saying. And th that conviction, don't kid yourself, can be very persuasive, right? Does, and it, look, it doesn't matter if you're a politician, if you're selling a widget, you know, if you're working at a store, if you're trying to convince someone, hey, look, you know, we got it. Like, for example, you might say, okay, we, we're going to go out on Saturday night, we're going to do a double date. Like, where should we go? Oh my gosh, a friend of mine told me that this new restaurant in town, it's like, you gotta go there, absolutely. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's where <laughs> yeah, we should yeah. go. You're, Cause you're, because <laughs> of the passion and conviction, absolutely. So that's that's a huge part of it as well. Feel, but again, it's feelings, still feelings. Yeah, you know, I always kind of like, uh, you know, wonder about kind of like, like trying to understand what someone's thinking versus what someone's feeling and kind of, how that plays into it. So like, I know you said like really emotions are the number one thing, but how does understanding what someone is, you know, really trying to think, um, you know, kind of uh, apply to that framework? And, and do you think like, it, it's just emotions are number one and, you know, what someone's thinking, you know, just uh, like, plays into that or, or are they two separate things? How do you view what, uh, trying to find out what someone is thinking? Yeah, I mean, so emotions are the most important thing, but you know, you can't stop there because so let's say for example, I wanna sell you like a car, okay? And I wanna sell you a car, uh, you know, through an emotional pathway. Well, I need to still figure out what you're thinking. Like, is the pathway that you your last car was totaled and you know, you, you got injured in an accident. And so now the most important thing to you is safety, right? Or you say, hey, look, you know, uh, I'm protecting the environment or, uh, uh, you know, fitting the car into your budget. All of these things represent emotional pathways by which I can sell you the car. But unless I know which one is the important one, I could harp all day long on safety and like, you don't care, right? Like you, you just care about 
the monthly fee, or you just care about the brand or the badge or how cool it looks or the color or how quickly you can get it because, you know, maybe, you know, your, 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 your car was totaled and you need a card today. So I need to figure out what's important to you and the way I do that. I mean, this is when we get into, if you want to call it selling, but like doing good discovery, asking good questions, doing good listening, and kind of also knowing if you're trying to sell to someone where their head might be at. It's funny. I'll tell you, I, I walked into a Volvo dealership a few weeks ago and you know, we're, you know, we're looking around and the, and the salesman comes over and I said, you tell me about this car. And he's like, well, you know, David, when you think Volvo, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Mm. Right. And I, I wanted to mess with him a bit. So I'm like, performance. <laughs> he's like, no, David, it's like safety, safety. <laughs> I like to mess sexiness. With yeah. They're boxy, but good. Right. So, so I say, I, he's like, you know, performance. He's like, you know, or sorry, says safety, you know, we've had safety features in our cars, like all these anti-collision things for like for 10 years before anyone else did. So here's the thing. So they're anchoring their like kind of the emotional connection they're having with their clients on safety. Now, look, he didn't ask me what was important to me, you know, but that's where he leads with from a brand perspective. And look, I walked into the Volvo dealership. It wasn't like he cold called me and said, Hey David, how would you like to buy a Volvo? So I kind of know what I'm getting in that instance, but he's trying to do his best to focus the kind of the emotional, um, you know, collateral of that purchase on the thing that he hopes, you know, is, is the thing that's going to most deeply resonate with me. But, you know, if you don't know that, you still have to, you know, you have to go through discovery. Yeah. What are uh, some uh, just kind of easy tactics for, let's like talk uh, to the non-salesperson first, someone that has not trained in sales. They've never taken a sales training course. They don't believe they're in sales. They're a nurse, they're a, a teacher, they're insert job title here on ways that you can be a little more persuasive, get people to be dr more drawn into you and what you're talking about. And then um, let's take the, the, the salesperson. What are some things you think the trained salesperson of 10 you know, 20 years could, could pick up from what your, um, you know, framework has to teach them. Yeah. Well, the example I often give to people is I say, just think of something you're passionate about now, right? Kind of music, a uh, band, a vacation spot, a car, a, a sports team. Okay. And now I want you to tell me about why you're so passionate about that thing. And usually when they do, they manifest this natural conviction and emotion and, and great story. The exercise I'll actually go through with people is I'll, I'll get a room full of people and I'll say, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? And so someone says, oh, I'm passionate about bluegrass music. I don't know, right? And then I go to Alex and Alex, I say, Alex, are you passionate about bluegrass music? And he'll say, no. And I was like, okay, great. I want you to talk about why you're so passionate about, about bluegrass music to me and I can tell very quickly that you're lying right like you're just making it up versus someone who is very passionate I can tell that they have they manifest this natural conviction so my advice is if you're trying to sell something be more persuasive try to tap in to what that natural persuasive force is and try to figure out okay how am I going to anchor my emotional state on that persuasive force when I describe that thing right so if I'm describing my favorite sports team bluegrass music whatever it is what's the story I'm going to tell and then again, figure out, okay, how do I relate that kind of emotion and story to the software product I'm telling or the car I'm selling or the, 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 um, you know, the, the restaurant I want to go to, like try, try to figure out that how to manifest that emotion. That's my, my best advice. Yeah. I think it's good advice. I mean, it, it kind of like one of my favorite parts of um, Dan, Dan Ping's book is the story of uh, the advertising 
the ad like the head of the advertising agency i think like roster reeves or i forget his name but you know they were walking and they saw a homeless man and um you know it, he he just had a sign and it just said um you know i'm blind uh and you know give me money and he's like i'm gonna bet you that i could get uh more money for this homeless guy by adding a few words he's like all right i'll take that bet and he goes up to the homeless man and he says and he just adds a few words just and it, and it just says it's springtime and I'm blind. And he, you know, got, you know, the legend has it, he got, you know, all this loads of money. And it's just people know the feeling of um, it being nice outside and, and how that, if that were taken away, you know, kind of how that would make them feel. And, um, you know, kind of goes to what you're saying. Uh, would, would, would you agree on that? It's true. In fact, I use that it's blind and, you know, I'm blind in a spring example in my training when I talk about messaging and, and why, and I ask people like, why does that work? For another similar example is I have, and I talk about this in my book as well, a sign that you might find in the park that says, you know, please pick up after your pet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then there's another sign that says children play here. Yeah. Please pick up after your pet. And it's the same principle. Like, why does that work? It works because when I see someone who's blind and it says it's spring, I associate spring with beauty and blooming and all these great things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the person can't see that. And so all of a sudden it stirs this emotion. The same thing with the, the pets in the, in, the, uh, in the park. It's, you know, children are great. They're innocent. We're conditioned to protect children in our society. So now that I have more conviction around the fact that, oh, children play here, but there's that awareness. Now, all of a sudden, it's going to influence my, my actions versus if I said construction workers work here, I wouldn't be as motivated. But all these things happen subconsciously, right? So tapping into that subconscious, whether it's a message, whether it's emotion, conviction, very powerful. Yeah. Well, I know we're kind of like heading to the end. Um, you know, David, like, if, is there, you know, a, a message that you have, like, just around, like, what sales really should be in the future, you know, a hope that you have, um, you know, five, 10 years from now of what the world will look like uh, um, when people are, are selling things to each other and business uh, selling uh, is happening. What, what is your yeah. hope? Well, I'm going to steal a butchered quote from Dan Pink uh, <laughs> and, and to sell as human. I'm going to butcher, I have it written down, so I'm going to butcher it. But basically he said, you know what, when, when um, moving people, when, you know, when he says information asymmetry, meaning an imbalance yeah. of information in the world is replaced by information parity, meaning buyers have lots of information. Yeah. There's all this choice, you know, um, and, and moving people becomes a very sophisticated activity, right? Moving people, as he refers to as selling, yeah. moving people is very sophisticated. Being good at sales requires the same amount of training and acumen as you know, operating an MRI machine, you know, being a surgeon, designing a house, right? Sell selling is a thinking person's game. And I believe I'm making my prediction in the future is if you want to be good in sales, you need to be mindful. You need to learn. You need to invest. You can't keep doing the same things over and over again because compared to even other professions, medicine, accounting, and so on, sales changes far more quickly. So you need to be able to adapt and really commit yourself to learning along this journey. I, uh, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. Without commitment, uh, you know, we just stay stay the same, and that's no fun for anybody. And and we're all uh, going back to uh, 
uh, coffee is for closers. Um, <laughs> David, where uh, can people connect with you um, and, uh, you know, just kind of um, follow what you're doing and, um, you know, what would you, you know, hope people do after listening to this? Look, I give away tons of content for free. So if you want to learn more about, you know, the content and concepts we've spoken about today, you can visit my website, which is Cerebral Selling, all one word, CerebralSelling.com. Uh, as well, the book, uh, it, I'm very grateful, turned out to be a bestseller. It's called Sell the Way You Buy, A Modern Approach to Sales That Actually Works Even on You. And you can get that anywhere you buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, but those are the, the best places to, uh, to get access to my content. Awesome. David, uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on. I hope uh, to have more conversations with you in the future. And, uh, and I'm really lucky to, uh, to, to you know, share some of these insights with you today. Thank you so much for being on. Oh, look, my pleasure, Alex. Thanks for inviting me. Right. Hey, gang. All right. Wow. You made it to the end. I know your time is valuable, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right. See you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human.